Have you ever wondered how many songs have been written? I googled it the other day and uh, have a guess as to how many songs have ever been written. Come on, let's throw out, shout out some numbers. Two hundred million. Well, there's um, 26 million songs on iTunes alone, all right, which is one of the main providers of uh, songs. And so people have concluded that when you have a look at it, the total number of songs is probably about 100 million all up. That is a lot of songs. And while there might be disagreement as to the number of songs that there are, uh, the one thing that is not debated at all is what the number one topic for songwriters is. Love. Love. They reckon that uh, probably 80% of all the songs that have ever been written have been about love. I mean, you know, those, how many people were growing up during the Beatles era? All right, come on, shout out some of the names of their songs. All you need, someone, some, I was going to say some idiot in the second row yelled out yellow submarine. It's probably one of the few, yeah, and, and probably strawberry fields forever, eh? Uh, but uh, just, about it, just about every song that they wrote was about love. But I, I think that the Bacharach and David actually got it right when they wrote what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. And the question is, have you ever wondered why we obsess over love? Why is it that most of the songs that are ever written are written about love? Why is it that it's a preoccupation with all of us? I think... It's because we are created with a basic need in our lives to love God and be loved by God and to love one another. That's, that's at the heart of every person. Uh, without that, we are empty and unfulfilled. Uh, we've been doing a series from the book of John. Last time I spoke, we looked at the missing link, which was to be born again as we studied the story of Nicodemus. And today we're going to carry on, and it just so happens that the verse that we're coming into is John 3.16, which is the, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. And it says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's the most recognizable passage in the Bible, and it tells us that God love the world. But how can you and I know absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, for ourselves that God loves us? As a church, we are called to be an apostolic influence, to be arrows of truth, winning souls, to ignite God's fire and power, to impact the nations. But we won't be able to fulfill any of those callings or any other God-given potentials that we have if we don't know and we don't grow in God's love because 
It's absolutely fundamental to living. So how can we know that God loves us? How do you know that anybody loves us? How do you know that your wife loves you? Uh, Some of you may have read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. Put up your hands if if you've read that, The Five Love Languages. Great. Uh, Those of you who haven't read that book, uh, can I suggest that you either get it out of the library or purchase it? It's an absolutely um, brilliant book. But basically what what Gary Chapman says is everyone's wired differently, and he outlines the five main ways that people give and recognize and receive love. So we recognize love through words of affirmation, through quality time, through gifts of, uh, giving gifts, through acts of service, through physical touch, and we're all wired differently. For instance, my two main um, love languages would probably be uh, physical touch and words of affirmation. Penny, my wife, her main love languages are quality time and acts of service. So the two don't cross over. So it's no good me telling Penny that I love her and going up and giving her a hug if I don't spend time with her. And just out of interest, guys, um, for a woman, time in front of TV doesn't count. (laughs) She wants to spend quality time with me where she's the centre of my attention with no distractions. And acts of service means that I can tell her, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if I don't empty the dishwasher and take out the rubbish, it doesn't count. Every one of us are different. And every one of us will recognize acts or expressions of love in different ways. And so uh, couples, if you haven't ever looked at uh, the book, The Five Love Languages, you should, because Often, we miscommunicate our affections for, for one another. But similarly with God, we will all interpret his overtures of love towards us in different ways. And so, thank goodness, God speaks to us and demonstrates his love through all of the five main ways that We receive love. And so that's what I want to look at this morning, how we recognize and how God actually loves us so that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves us. Because the reality is, if you don't know that God loves you, you will never be secure in life. So number one, God speaks through words of love. So let's look at a couple of verses, and we could spend the next 40 minutes just going through the verses in the Bible that God says that he loves us. But here's some of the ones that, uh, that I like. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. I'll build you up again. John 15 9, Jesus speaking, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 1 John 3 verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. 1 John 4 verse 10, this is love. 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So those are a few of them. But um, one of my favorite verses is what I call the fridge magnet verse. Because I reckon if God had a fridge, your photo would be on it. You would be one of his fridge magnets. Because this is what he says in Isaiah 49 verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Well, the answer is no. But though she may forget, I will not forget you, says God. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. So we are always, we are always in front of in front of God. And he loves us so much that he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So if you're a words person, if, you're, if you like words of affirmation, meditate on God's word. Look up all the verses that he tells us that he loves us. And you will just realize just how much God loves you personally. So, first of all, we know that God loves us because he says so. Uh, Secondly, we know that he loves us because he wants to spend time with us. Uh, All through the word we read how God wants to spend time with us as a father wants to spend time with his children. In the beginning, God would walk with Adam and Eve in in the garden. Jesus, who is our example for living, spent time each day just communing with the Father. It didn't matter how busy he was, he would draw aside and just spend time with the Father. An absolute classic book on learning how to spend regular time with God is one written by a 17th century monk called Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence basically was able to turn even the most commonplace and menial tasks like preparing meals, washing dishes, into times of communion with God. Uh, The key to friendship with God, he said, is recognizing that God's with you all the time. So he would pray short, conversational prayers continuously throughout the day rather than trying to focus on a long prayer session. Because because God is with us all the time, no place is any closer to God than the place where you are right now. What affects our perception of the closeness of God is just that, our perception. And so when we're really, really busy, we don't feel close to God. When we stop and start thinking about God, we sense his presence. And so Brother Lawrence, throughout the day, would shoot up arrow prayers, no matter what he was doing. He would just be communing with God. James 4.8 says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Now, I count my doctor as a friend, but my friendship with him is quite different 
to my friendship with my wife because when I go to visit the doctor, I'm only usually wanting one thing from him. I'm wanting to receive from him rather than give something to him. And some of you treat your relationship with God like that. You're only going to him to receive from him, whereas God wants our friendship with him to be a two-way relationship with us giving as well as receiving. And when that happens, you're going to know that God loves you and you will begin to understand God better. And that's really, really, really important. Jeremiah 9.23 says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. When Penny and I first got married, we were like most newly married couples. We didn't know each other at all. Forty years later, I've learned one or two things about Penny. I've learned her fears. I've learned her aspirations. I've learned to listen to what she says and sometimes what she doesn't say. I know that Penny likes to be treated like a lady. She likes licorice. Black Knight, by the way. She likes flowers. She's very frugal with money. She isn't impressed by extravagance, but she's satisfied with the simple things in life. I know she loves her kids and her grandkids and myself and would do anything for us. I know she puts others before herself. I know she really loves God. And that is why I trust her. And that's why I love her. And we share our secrets together. But it's taken 40 years for me to get to know her and to understand her better. And the same will be true with God. God wants to spend time with us so that we can know and understand him because he loves us. I love what it says in Lamentations 3.22. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's in the Revised Standard Version, and the, the part that I love about that is that every day we can experience something fresh about the love and the person and the faithfulness of God. We just have to hook up. We just have to connect. We just have to recognize that God's with us and wants us to walk with Him. So we can know that God loves us because of what he says. We can know that, what he, that he loves us because he wants to spend time with us. We can know that he loves us because he gives us gifts. How many people like to receive gifts? None of you. 
Oh, well, ushers, don't bother panning out all those things now. He gives us great gifts. In fact, we know that God loves us because he, he's our provider. He says in Matthew 6, 31, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Every father wants to give good things to their kids. Fortunately, when they're little, they only ask for little things. When they get older, they ask for bigger things, more expensive things. The reality is, though, we want to bless our kids. And God's saying, hey, if you know how to give good things to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask them? So I began to think, what are some of the things that God's given us? Think about it. He's given us an amazingly beautiful world. Man, I just love getting out in God's creation. You get out there. I, I like fishing. Penny likes fishing. Sometimes you get out there on a storm morning, and you're just sitting back there, and you think, man, this is, this is amazing. What a beautiful country we live in. And the more you travel around the world, the more you realize that New Zealand is absolute paradise. But the reality is God's created an amazingly beautiful world. He has given us today. He says this is the day that he's made, that we can rejoice and be glad in it. Every day has been created for us. He has given us life. I love life. He's given us eternal life. He's given us His Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? I, I looked up on, um, on Google uh, gifts that God's given us, and there was about three pages of bits and pieces, so I couldn't fit them all in. But He's just given us so much. He's given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's given us His peace. God loves us so much that He's given us... Abundant life. Jesus said, you know, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Uh, abundant life is experiencing God's life, His supernatural love, His supernatural wisdom, His supernatural power in place of our own. How many would admit this morning that there are people that you work with or that you rub shoulders with that you just don't like. Staff, don't put your hands up. We all have it. We all have it. But the reality is with God's supernatural love inside you, He gives you the supernatural ability to love people that would otherwise be unlovely. He gives us supernatural wisdom 
for life. Just knowing how to do stuff, knowing how to get breakthroughs and stuff. I, I, I love reading the accounts of scientists, because that's been my background, who have prayed and God has put thoughts in their mind and they've just had absolute amazing breakthroughs. In fact, you'll find that if you go back in the history of science, 90% of all the amazing breakthroughs have happened through Christian scientists. Why? Because God knows everything. He knows what we need. He knows the directions that we should be going. And I want to encourage you, in your place of work, pray and ask God for supernatural wisdom to know how to deal with a child at school, to know how to deal with a problem and uh, situations and circumstances that otherwise you wouldn't have insight into. He gives us a supernatural power in place of our own. Abundant life is an exchange of life. We give him ours, he gives us his. All Christians have eternal life, but I've noticed that not everyone's experiencing abundant life. And God wants us to have this kind of life, even in the midst of our trials, experiencing his life in place of our own will convince us more than anything else that God is real and that he loves us. And of course, John 3.16 says that God loves us so much that he gave us Jesus. So we know he loves us because of his words. We know he loves us because he wants to spend time with us. We know he loves us because of the gifts he gives us, but also we know that he loves us because of acts of service. The ultimate act of service by which we know that God loves us is that he took on the limitations of our human form. The creator became the created. He lived a life demonstrating how we should live and then he died on the cross, taking our sin on his shoulders so that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with him. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. What an attitude. What a way of thinking that resulted in an amazing, amazing, amazing act of service. If you want to know how God treats you, when he looks at Isaac, or he looks at Stephen, or he looks at Rosie, or he looks at Hayden, if you want to know the way that he, he treats you, look at the way that Jesus treated men and women that he rubbed shoulders with in the Bible. There was the woman caught in the act of adultery that Jesus forgave and said, go and sin no more. There was the man who was full of demons that society had cast out and chained in a cemetery. But Jesus went, loosed his chains, set him free, cast the demons out and gave him a whole new life. 
There was the boy with epilepsy whose father had little faith that Jesus came to and healed. There was the crooked tax collector, Zacchaeus, who was just ripping off God's people. But Jesus went and sat down, came to his house, and his relationship with Zacchaeus caused Zacchaeus' life just to be completely turned around. Then there was Peter, the disciple, one of Jesus' three closest friends. Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus three times, that Jesus came again to him. I mean, if Peter was in our church and he denied knowing Jesus, we'd kick him out. Really, we'd suspe- we'd, we would at least suspend his membership. But what does Jesus do? He's more interested in restoration rather than punishment and retribution. So Jesus gets alongside him and says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you see, after that fresh encounter with Jesus, Peter is a different person. And he's one of the heroes of the apostolic era. God says in Romans 5 verse 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? While we were sinners, while we weren't perfect, while we were all messed up, while we were rejecting him, While we were throwing mud in his face, he died for us. We know that he loves us because of what he's done for us. And finally, we know that he loves us because of his touch on our lives. As I've told you before, I was brought up in a Christian family. My folks were good Presbyterians. So I knew a lot about God, but didn't really know God. And it wasn't until God poured out his spirit on me and I, absolutely, I had an encounter with God, I actually felt God. I felt his Holy Spirit flowing down through my head, through my arms, through my body. When that happened to me, when he touched me with his spirit, I realized for the first time that God loved me. And it was like all the lights suddenly came on. All those verses that I'd learned as, as a kid and didn't really mean a heck of a lot back there suddenly came alive. And there was something happened in my life. And from that time onwards, I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me and God had a plan for my life.
We feel his presence and we know his anointing. His touch tells us that he loves us. If you've ever been healed supernaturally, you know that God loves you. His Holy Spirit is in us, so we should feel his presence. And it's such a great encouragement when we do. What the world needs now is to know and experience God's love. Amen? Let's have the musicians. Paul the Apostle prays for the Ephesian church. And he says this. He's praying for the whole church in the city. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You'll never be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God until you have an ongoing revelation of the love of God towards you. In fact, without an ongoing revelation of the love of God towards you, your life will be empty. It's no good me looking back 40-something years and saying, well, I know God loved me because He touched me 45 years ago. What about today? What about yesterday? As I said, I'm a words of affirmation and physical touch type of guy. That's how I interpret love, through those two mediums mainly. So I crave the presence of God. I love feeling His presence. And God is really, really gracious. He doesn't have to, but He does. I think you get what you go for. And if you want God to reveal Himself to you in a particular way, He is gracious and He does. And my experience has been that when I get alone with God and say, God, I just, I just want to sense your presence. I just want to know your anointing. Then just something, something happens. And I just sense him being close. I sense him being near. Now, you might not be like that. You might be totally words orientated. Well, get into his word and read about how much he loves you. Because knowing that God loves you will help you get through your life, will help you through every aspect of your life. 
It's critical that we know God loves us, not just in our heads, but in everyday life experience. We need to know God loves us experientially so that no matter what happens to us circumstantially, emotionally, or physically, the security of His love will always be there. And that ongoing revelation of God's love will just add to that security. You know, people can't replace the love of God. As much as, my, as much as I love my wife, she will never be a substitute for me knowing and experiencing God's love. She might be a distraction, but she can never be a substitute. In fact, she's an amazing gift. But God's love, that's what we need more than anything else. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning?